All right, we are back. We advertise this program as a program that deals with science and technology topics, and I don't think we do technology maybe as often as we might. So let's do science and technology in a couple of items here. Um, we have to report, unfortunately, that the Genesis space capsule, which had orbited the sun for three years, um, kind of had the ball dropped on it. Now, NASA had been training chopper pilots that work in Hollywood to try and snag this capsule as it came parachuting down over Utah. If you, um, if you were in the right spot in the eastern uh, deserts of Oregon or northern Nevada uh, yesterday morning, you would have seen this astoundingly bright meteor streaking across the sky, which was actually the Genesis space capsule um, re-entering. Uh, they had this, uh, like I say, these, these chopper pilots were going to snag this thing because they were concerned that at the speed, even coming down at six feet uh, per second via parachute, that would hit the ground too hard for the sensitive instruments inside. Well, unfortunately, the, uh, the chopper crew never got a chance to snag it as it was coming down in, uh, by the parachute because the parachute didn't open. As you perhaps saw on one of your websites, <laughs> very, I shouldn't laugh. But an image uh, from a television camera showing the plant in the ground that the Genesis space capsule made. It, it looks intact. It looks like an old broken pith helmet from, like, uh, you know, Indian Raj movies. Buried in the Utah soil, and uh, they've scooped it up. They're going to take it back. And what's amazing to me is they're thinking, like, well, it, maybe it's salvageable. I mean, the... They were worried about it like, you know, making a soft landing, and here it makes this hard landing without a parachute, and they're thinking, well, maybe, maybe we can salvage it. I, I don't know. I, I hope they can. It's unfortunate. It was a six-year project, $260 million, to bring back actual little bits of uh, little atomic um, chunks from the sun that were basically wafted along by the solar wind. Uh, you know, it's the first chance we've ever had to actually sample the sun itself directly from space. All right. Well, we're gonna we'll follow up with that story. We're gonna bring back Trina Ray from NASA's Jet Jet Propulsion Laboratory next month to talk about the exciting developments that will transpire when the Cassini spacecraft uh, whips past Saturn's moon Titan, the only moon in the solar system that has a substantial atmosphere. Titan, of course, is uh, larger than the planet Mercury and has an atmosphere comparable to our own here on planet Earth. Very interesting stuff. Stay tuned for that. All right, here's a technology story I'd made mention of last week, but I didn't have the story in front of me. I do now. Carried from the AP wires, Glendale, California. Police arrested a man. They said tracked his ex-girlfriend's whereabouts by attaching a global positioning system to her car. Era Gabrielian, 32, was arrested on one count of stalking and three counts of making criminal threats. This is what I would consider stalking in the 21st century, Police Lieutenant John Perkins said. Now, apparently, this is his ex-girlfriend, the 35-year-old woman, uh, was being followed by this guy because he knew exactly where she was. Um, and then he would, of course, show up where she was shopping uh, you know, <laughs> again and again. Um, he apparently got caught only when he was out trying to change the batteries in the GPS, and she caught him under her car. That, I'm sorry to say, is the kind of thing we're going to probably see more of in the future. And I would draw your attention to a similar article in New Scientist magazine, which we like to quote, which our good friends over at This Week in Science uh, like to rely upon. They do such great, uh, great science stories. 
They now have a wireless version of a barcode, which is used mainly by corporations trying to monitor their stock. Uh, it takes, you know, does for stock taking. These little radio frequency identification tags, RFIDs, are uh, spreading in popularity. They act as a passive transponder. The tag will send back a digital code stored in its memory in response to um, a reading device's radio signal. Now, um, of course, this, uh, this is great for companies needing to keep track of individual items as they go down the supply chain, but it also means that uh, such devices could easily be used for surveillance. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be too long before, uh, <laughs> before Era Gabrielian gets word of this. Era, you won't have to worry about changing the batteries on one of these chips. But in all seriousness, this really has a potential for much mischief, and we probably want to get someone in the future uh, to talk to us on this show about, about this. I guess this is the kind of device they're using, you know, when you do one of those uh, Bay Area tolls, so you, you drive through the toll collection. Uh, is, that, is that the same kind of device? I'm not sure. Anyway, that's been automated now, of course, and you know if you've ever driven on the, the Bay Bridge and didn't, didn't catch it in time and went whizzing through a booth because there was no one there to take your money... Yeah, they'll find you. They, uh, they'll, send, they'll send you a bill in the mail for $1, along with a photograph of yourself committing the transgression. Um, I know, it happened to me. But I'm, I'm guessing this is the same technology they're using for, for pets. You put a little chip under your pet's skin, and then your pet can be scanned by the vet. Uh, you know, how long before this is being done with humans? Well, it's already being done with humans. Apparently, there's even a, a nightclub in Spain using tags implanted under the skin as membership passes. Hey, maybe we'll get Dr. Andy to come and talk about that. He not only does poetry, <laughs> including Saddam Hussein limericks, but also is very big on uh, computer technology. So maybe we'll just go in-house for this one. In future shows, we're planning to bring you uh, a, a, good, a good friend of mine, former colleague, uh, Dr. Philip Denny, to talk to you about uh, medical cannabis. This is an important issue. It's been much in the news. And Dr. Denny... Uh, is a, is a supplier of medical cannabis for people in need. It's something I, I commend him for, and I'm looking forward to bringing, um, bringing Phil on our program. Um, dovetailing with um, that future issue is this item. Again, again, from New Scientist magazine. Damn, they do a good job. Article uh, from Dateline Melbourne, Australia. Referring to research done uh, by Marcus Lewecki of the University of Cologne, Germany, and Andrea Gufridia and Danielle Piamelli here at uh, UC, University of California at Irvine. All these researchers were examining a compound that is a cannabinoid-like substance uh, named anandamide. It uh, apparently works, it, it apparently is why marijuana intoxicates people. I mean, if you think about this, this is worth taking a minute to think about, actually. Out there in nature, there are various uh, uh, plants producing all sorts of different compounds. Uh, most of them are somewhat neutral. I mean, if you go grab an oak leaf and chew on it, nothing much is going to happen. But there are certain substances out there, certain uh, plant-produced substances, that do funny things to people. And by trial and error, human beings have discovered an awful lot of them. There are more out there remaining to be discovered. But um, what in every case, uh, these 
active substances do is mimic some compound the body normally uses for some purpose. For example, opiates, which are produced by poppies, uh, mimic these compounds in your brain called endorphins, which I think most of us have heard about uh, by now. But that nobody knew how, how morphine or, or, or codeine or, or opium worked until these compounds were stumbled upon, uh, like I believe the 1970s. And the, the way you get pain relief from a shot of morphine is that it mimics, it mimics these compounds in your brain that you normally use to give yourself pain relief. In a similar vein, nicotine uh, is produced by, um, by tobacco plants to, uh, to protect themselves from uh, predators that would like to chew up the plants. Now, it turns out that it has an effect on animals. Among the animals affected are human beings who smoke. Nicotine has a very definite effect on the central nervous system. So for that matter, does caffeine. It's been argued by individuals in law enforcement, uh, incorrectly from a medical standpoint, that, um, that cannabis could, could not possibly have any medical uses because, well, just, just because. Well, we now have located uh, you know, receptors in the brain that anatomide affects, and, and like any other compound that um, you know, we can decipher its function in, in our central nervous system, we'll be able to modify it, we'll be able to make compounds that, uh, that act in the, in the way that uh, the body's um, uh, mechanisms do, or block them as the need arises. Well, these researchers in, in Germany and here at UC, UC Irvine, found that a cannabis-like substance produced in the brain may dampen delusional or psychotic experiences rather than trigger them. Now, an observation had been made in the past that the really heavy cannabis users uh, have been linked to psychosis. So there may be something going on here. What these researchers found was that uh, in people who were undergoing their first um, psychotic episode with schizophrenia, they checked their cerebral spinal fluid and found that they had lower anatomine levels than controls, which, uh, you know, which is a surprising finding, which is the way things go in science. Uh, you know, that, that wasn't what they expected, but they now think that, well, rather than triggering psychosis, what may be going on is that uh, we use these compounds in response to psychotic symptoms to help control them. This is a long way from being deciphered, but... Uh, it's certainly interesting and certainly shows that it is not true that marijuana could not possibly have any, any uh, medical uses. I mean, you know, I think this is, you know, pretty well known by anyone who's uh, ever known a person who needed to control, say, um, the side effects of chemotherapy. I think it's been pretty well demonstrated in study after study that uh, cannabis can help these people uh, get through that. But, uh, you know, in, in a more, in a more uh, experimental area, this article points out that, you know, this, these compounds probably have uses we haven't yet discerned. They did also note in this article that at some point in their lives, between 5 and 30% of healthy people have had symptoms such as delusions or hallucinations, which my first reaction was 5 to 30% of people might have hallucinations, but... They do note that a hallucination can be triggered by something as simple as sleep deprivation. And that, uh, that got me thinking. I was a student here at this university many, uh, many moons back, and a bunch of us elected, uh, this, this of course dates me, to take a trip down the Baja when the Baja Highway opened up 
back in the 1970s. So a bunch of us threw our lot together, got in a van, and drove, and drove, and drove. It's a, you know, it's, it's a thousand-mile-long peninsula down there uh, below San Diego. We were intending to go about mm, two-thirds of the way down. And this meant, you know, driving and driving and sharing um, driving duties. At one point, it was my turn to drive. We were all pretty tired, and, and we were, I was tooling along the desert down there in Baja, tired, sleep-deprived, and uh, noticing that along the side of the road, there was a pig that was keeping pace with the Volkswagen van we were driving, which meant the pig was cruising along about 60 or 70. And not only was it keeping pace, it was weaving in and out of the cacti and bujum trees, which uh, dot the landscape down there. And it was a somewhat unsettling realization as I was continuing to drive that, uh, that I was having a hallucination. Because I think it's, you know, pretty well established that pigs do not travel at speeds excess of 60 miles an hour. I think I, I decided that shortly after that it was, it was time for me to pull over and let somebody else drive for a while. So that's the only time in my life I recall having a hallucination, you know. Uh, but there it was, and it was from sleep deprivation. Um, I hope that we can, uh, you know, uh, learn more about such matters by you know, the exploration, the investigation of cannabis-like substances. Now, we, we wanted to go to, uh, to funny man and blogger uh, Tom Burka uh, in the past two weeks. Tom was actually in New York. Well, Tom, Tom lives in New York, so it was very easy for him to, to pop on down and cover the events taking place for the, uh, the GOP convention. Uh, we haven't been able to get a hold of him of late. He's a busy man. So I thought what I would do is shamelessly filch one of his reports off his website. I'm, I'm sure he won't mind. From where I stand here, just outside the Republican National Convention, Madison Square Garden is startlingly different than any other object in sight. It is an enormous pyramidal structure of glittering white concrete soaring up terrace after terrace, 300 meters into the air. And from where I stand now, it is just possible to read, picked out on its white face in elegant lettering, the three slogans of the Republican Party, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. This is Tom Burka reporting virtually live from the Republican National Convention in New York City. For more uh, of, of Mr. Burka's output, we recommend that you go to Tom Burka, B-U-R-K-A dot com, and uh, check out his website. And speaking of uh, funny guys from New York, we're happy to report that on next week's program, we're going to bring you a legend of comedy, Professor Irwin Corey, known universally as the world's foremost authority. Irwin Corey is well, somewhere between 90 and 92 years old. There's, there's some controversy involved. A delightful individual, a fixture on television from like the old um, Steve Allen show and virtually all the talk shows, I think, in the 60s and 70s. He managed to get himself uh, kicked off of television, I think, in the 1970s. He's a little bit too wild. But uh, very funny guy, and we're looking forward to talking with him on this show next week. We're also looking a little bit further than that down the road, where we hope to bring you another legend of comedy, Mr. Mort Saul. Mort Saul's performing in Santa Monica next week, and on assignment for Radio Parallax, we're going to go down and listen to him. After which, we hope that he will uh, agree to an interview, and, uh, well, let's cross our fingers. I think we'll be bringing you Mort Saul.
Someone else we hope to bring back on this program in the future is a James Israel, editor and publisher of the Comic Press News. They've been doing some funny stuff in there lately. In his editor's letter, I noticed um, uh, in the current issue, he talks about uh, you know some 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 radio out there that um, real live liberals might want to listen to. He mentions Air America Radio, which is currently on at 12:40 a.m. KPFA 94.1 FM Berkeley, KVMR 89.5 operating out of Grass Valley, but curiously omits KDVS 90.3 Davis Sacramento. Even though he's been on our show, well, I, I hope that I hope he'll correct that in in future editions. Now, the truth is, I've never considered this to be a a liberal, quote-unquote, liberal program. Uh, We've been out there battling hypocrisy, and and, and it seems that of late, uh, the extreme right wing in this country uh, has almost had the field to itself. Not quite, but uh, they certainly have been been way ahead of the curve. But I I think back to my uh, my student days here at this fine institution uh, and the old Larry Blake's restaurant. In the, in the bathroom, there was always a classic bit of graffiti, which was, was written up in some, some magazines, I think. Someone written on the wall in the bathroom of Larry Blake's that um, socialism is the opiate of the intellectuals. I remember many a coffee house bowl session, which after all is an important part of the university experience. Um, over uh, the fixation a lot of people had with, uh, with what was going on in Southern Africa. People were out leafleting Bank of America, arguing about how we, you know, should uh, end apartheid, which certainly was, in every respect, a, a valid, uh, a valid uh, point to put forward. But they were also concerned about what was going on in Angola, Mozambique, under Portugal, the, the evils of colonialism in in these um, these at that time still um, operational colonies in Africa. Uh, again. You know, they had a point on that, but what I thought was really curious was that nobody was passing out leaflets, nobody was protesting, nobody was talking about the fact that uh, at the same time, in the country of Cambodia, a bunch of nuts was committing were committing genocide. A bunch of uh, communists who'd been trained in Paris had gone back to Cambodia, had taken over the country, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, and they were systematically committing mass murder. And... Uh, you know, for some reason, uh, a lot of the left just didn't have a lot to say about that. And, uh, and I guess uh, in, in my own small way, I've, I've never quite forgiven uh, such individuals. Well, I'm not about to embark on an anti-left or anti-socialist tirade, but, you know, hypocrisy is hypocrisy wherever you find it. Uh, just currently these days, uh, I don't know, it seems to be coming from the right. So, um, yeah, yeah, okay, call us liberal. We would like to quote also from one of our favorite local periodicals, the Sacramento News and Review, which, which by any account is is a fairly liberal uh, publication. Um, and, and, and by the way, have been very kind in, in praising us in the past, saying that even if they don't always agree with us, because they are, they're probably a little more to the left than we are, uh, they still respected our opinion. We thank them for that. Uh, but there was, there was a very funny... Uh, guest commentary uh, in, 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 I think, last week's uh, Sacramento News and Review that I just, I just, I had to quote from. This is from a man named Philip Taylor, a Sacramento area teacher, described as a person who drinks too many mochas. <laughs> Went in a bit of a tirade himself about, uh, about uh, certain coffee purveyors who I think shall remain nameless, who tend to name their... <laughs> 
Their coffee sizes, uh, well, in a peculiar fashion. He titled this uh, commentary, A Very Venti Vent. Well, I guess if I'm going to quote from this, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to finger Starbucks. Anyway, all right, I want to quote from the article. Venti is Starbucks speak for large. I can't say that this is the Italian word for large because I don't really know what word Italians use for large. Whenever I meet an Italian, I've never had the presence of mind to ask. But even if the Italian term for large is actually venti, it doesn't actually mean large in Starbucks. Mr. Taylor explains that uh, venti actually probably includes a side of superiority uh, in, in its meaning, uh, you know, a special code word. He does point out the oddity of using venti for large and then for small using the English word tall. Does this drive you nuts? <laughs> when I go to Starbucks, I absolutely refuse to call a small coffee a tall. Oh, I know it's a small thing to vent on, but uh, you know, good on you, Mr. Philip Taylor. My uh, my producer <laughs> reminds me of the fact that uh, there was an Onion headline recently saying that uh, Starbucks opens up new location in restroom of existing Starbucks. I love the Onion. Let's let's close this segment with a couple other he- Onion headlines. I'm pulling off the current calendar. I, I, don't, I don't know why this one's so funny. Greenspan considering role in Ocean's Eleven remake. Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan confirmed Monday he's considering a role in the upcoming remake of the 1960 Rat Pack heist caper, Ocean's Eleven. But if you heard uh, Peter G. Peterson on the program a few weeks ago, and I hope you did, uh, yeah, a lot of what's going on in the in, in the U.S. economy right now uh, it does kind of amount to a heist. Anyway, uh, Onion Headline will go out with... <laughs> Vatican warns against increasingly healthy attitudes towards sex. Alarmed by rising rates of pleasurable, mutually fulfilling acts of physical love among Catholics, the Vatican issued a statement, quote, The practice of so-called healthy sexuality, unquote, with its emphasis on the spiritual and physical nourishment of consenting partners in a relationship built on mutual respect, has no place in the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the 200-page document read. Those who have derived pleasure from such non-shame-based practices are not living according to God's law. Yeah, anyone out there ever go to Catholic school? That should be ringing a few bells. All right, let's, uh, let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Sacramento. 